Most of you guys know we've been going through the book of Romans, um, and what we've been doing is we've been starting out by looking at uh, Romans' road to salvation. Uh, I don't know if we're going to keep on doing it for too much longer, but we're going to go through it at least one more time today, just as a as a means of getting familiar with these verses that kind of help us be able to organize our testimony or share the gospel in a way that is um, really understandable and thorough to somebody who might be interested in hearing about God. And so uh, we want to always be ready to do that. So with that in mind, um, I'm going to go ahead and read through these five verses from Romans again. If you want, you can read with me. If you want, you can just um, read it to yourself. But here are the, the five verses that we've been trying to memorize First one is Romans 3.23. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Now, this is a great verse for bringing down the defenses of somebody who is hearing the good news. We're not saying that you are bad, that, that you're a sinner. We're saying that we are sinners. We're not picking you out as, as, as worse than anybody else. We've all sinned. We're all bad. Um, nobody's perfect. Um, but it says in the next verse then, it says, what is the result of sin? What happens in the fact that we have sin? So the next verse is Romans 6.23, which says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. All right, so this verse shows that without Christ, we have a serious problem. But with Christ, there's hope. God is... Um, God can't just let sin go unpunished. He's a just God, but he's also a loving creator, and he, he offers a free gift through Jesus. But as we look at Romans uh, 5, 8, which is next, he talks about though, how even this, though this gift is free, it came at a high price. And Romans 5, 8 says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. God came to earth as a human to do what no human could do. He lived a perfect life and was able to offer it as a perfect sacrifice for all mankind, even while we are still sinning against him. And so anyone who wants to receive this free gift of eternal life that, that comes from having the wages of our sin being paid for can receive it. And then when we move to Romans 10, 9 and 10, it talks about how we can receive it. And it says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Now, if you were sharing this message with somebody and at this point they feel like something's stirring inside of them that they want to turn to the Lord, they want to let go of their, their old ways and their sin and they want him to be Lord of their life, they can receive this free gift at this very moment. Uh, all they have to do is, is basically follow the instructions here. Just believe that this God who's calling them, that's tugging on their heart, is real and that he really lived and died for them and confess with their mouth that he is Lord. Be willing to turn from their old ways, that they're not going to be Lord of their life, but they want him to be Lord. And at that very moment, they become a new creation. The stain of sin has been washed away, and they have a new life, an eternal life with Christ. And Romans 8, 1 talks about that new life, saying, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. 
There's no condemnation. That wages of sin, that is death, is gone. There's no more condemnation. And like I talked about before, now they can come to God freely in, in worship and in relationship. And, and so it's celebration time. They moved from death into life. They're now a child of God, and the Holy Spirit now lives in them and can give them the power to, uh, to, to please him, the power to do the things that he wants them to do, um, and gives them the desire to follow him. It's, I love, I, I'm, I'm blanking on the verse, but, but, um, but it says that, the, that God gives us the desire and the power to do as well. The desire and the power. I just think that's great because sometimes as humans, we don't want to. <laughs> and so we need the Holy Spirit to empower us. Um, and so when I make that commitment, the Holy Spirit comes in and gives them the desire and the power uh, I have to tell you, uh, during the last few weeks as going through this and, and reading through these verses and then trying to put into my own words, what, what do they mean and how do they apply and how, we, how might we share them? It's, it's been very beneficial to me. And so I would just want to encourage you, if, if you have some time, if you want to feel more confident in sharing your faith, take a, take a few minutes and write down these verses and maybe write down what, that, what it means to you. Uh, maybe if you feel ambitious, maybe write down your testimony and how it would fit in to those steps. Or if, try and remind yourself of what it was like when you felt God calling you to him and, um, and how you responded. And um, be ready to share that story because nobody has a boring testimony. Uh, our, our testimony tells of how the creator of the universe loved us enough that he sent his son to die for us so that we could become a child of God a child of God and have eternal life in paradise. Become a child of God and have eternal life in paradise. That's not a boring story. Uh, no matter what your story is, it's powerful. And it's a story that has to be told. And so um, remind yourself of, of what that was like. And, and, um, and maybe there's even stories along the road of your path that, that might be helpful uh, to share and to, to remind yourself of and maybe write out just to kind of um, feel comfortable being able to talk about it. So I just want to encourage you in that. All right. Um, so into the message for today, a uh, quick recap of last week. Uh, we talked about some of the obstacles that Jewish believers had uh, to, to accepting Christ, that they had been raised, uh, born and raised as Jews. They put a lot of value in that. Uh, they put a lot of value in the knowledge that they had of the law, knowing about the one true God. And um, they, they put too much faith in that, too much hope in that. And they didn't realize that the blessing of having the law, of having these things, was that it could be a tool to point them towards their need for a Savior. Um, of course, the Old Covenant also gave them a way for temporary atonement, a temporary covering for their sin, but it was not meant to be a permanent fix. It, there was a Savior coming that was going to die once and for all for all of their sin. And we talked about some of the similarities between these Jews that held on so tightly to their traditions and their heritage to uh, Christian Americans and how they've placed much of their hope in the title of Christian or in fulfilling some Christian sacraments or, or traditions instead of putting their hope in the cross of Jesus Christ. They claim to be Christians, but yet they deny the power that the power of salvation comes in Christ alone. Uh, some even believe that they can do some good works or do some penance to pay for their sins. 
they know about Jesus, but they don't really know Jesus and they haven't experienced the power of God living inside of them. So as we closed uh, the verse last week, or closed the, the section of chapter, well, actually we closed chapter two last week, um, we read this last verse, Romans 2.29, where that explained what it meant to be a true Jew. And he said, no, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God, and true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law, rather it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit, and a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God and not from people. So we concluded our message last week um, by giving everybody an opportunity to make a commitment to seek Him again, to, uh, to praise Him above all else, to seek His praise above all else, um, and I'm praying uh, that we are continuing to make that prayer, that commitment, day after day, that we wouldn't, we wouldn't get caught up in a routine of Christian habits, but that the things that we do would actually be an outflow of the Holy Spirit's change in our hearts, not just something we do on autopilot, but because we're desiring to please God with our lives. And so um, we want to have that changed heart. We want to be true Christians that, uh, that have a relationship who know God, not just know about God. So Paul knew that this, this sort of comment, kind of questioning whether or not they're a true Jew or not, was kind of a hard thing. Um, he knew doing this kind of honest self-evaluation was going to be challenging for some of these Jews, and they probably weren't going to like being told that they may not be a true Jew. And based on Paul's past experience, because Paul had spent a lot of times, uh, as he's gone on his missionary travels, he's gone to, to the synagogues and he's taught and he's had conversations with Jews um, over and over again. And so he, he knows how this conversation typically goes. He's had this conversation before. And so as he continues to write, as we move into chapter three, he does it kind of like he's having a conversation. Um, so just to... And give an example, uh, we'll read Romans 3, 1 and 2. It says, then what's the advantage of being a Jew? So that's, that's what he imagined they might say. Um, Is there any value in the ceremony of circumcision? And he responds saying, yes, there are great benefits. First of all, the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. It's kind of like he's having a debate all by himself. Uh, he's offering a question on their behalf and then he answers the question, but then he also kind of explains maybe a little bit of the, the thought or what he believes would be underneath that question. What's the underlying assumption um, that that question is based on? And then he fires back at himself another question on their behalf. So as we read today, we're going to hear Paul pose three questions on their behalf. The first one is, what is the advantage of being born and raised as a Jew? Second one what if someone, some of them, some of the Jews don't follow the word of God given to them? Um, will God remain faithful to them? And then number three, since our sin makes God's goodness more evident, wouldn't it be unfair to punish us for it? And so that's uh, an interesting one, but uh, we'll get to that later. Uh, we're going to go ahead and we're going to jump back into this, this first question and dig into what exactly is, is uh, are they asking? What is Paul saying here? 
So the question again, what advantage is there of being a Jew? Is there any value in the ceremony of circumcision? And Paul says, yes, there are great benefits. First of all, and, and really the first of all is the, the only thing we're going to really be covering today, is that they were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. That is their advantage. Um, now, when it says whole revelation of God, it's the whole revelation of God that was given up to this point. Um, other translations sometimes say that uh, the Jews were entrusted with the very word of God or the actual word of God or the oracles of God. Um, but it's, it's the law and the prophets that have been given to them. It's, it, it's God's word, God's covenant that was written down for them and spoken to them. So that was the actual words of God given to them. They were given God's instruction. They were given his promises. They were given prophecy to guide them, to warn them, to tell them about a coming Messiah. God blessed them as the ones that the, that the Messiah would actually come through. And he gave them these means, his written word, uh, he, or, or spoken word, uh, that was written down for them. They had scrolls and that, that had all this documented so that they could remember what God told them. And so um, they had this as an advantage. The Messiah was going to come through them. They had the information needed to be able to recognize that Messiah. They should have had a leg up on everybody else on being able to recognize and receive the Messiah when he came. They had that benefit. They had that advantage. Then last week, um, we read of a different advantage back in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, Another advantage of them being entrusted with the word of God, we read that how no other nation around them had laws that were as righteous or as fair, okay? And so looking a little bit further in Deuteronomy chapter 4, uh, looking at verse 40, it says, if you obey all the decrees and commands I'm giving you today, all will be well with you and your children. It's a blessing there. All will be well with you and your children if you obey my, my decrees and commands. I'm giving you these instructions so that you will enjoy a long life in the land of the Lord your God, the land your Lord your God is giving you for all time. The Jews had the advantage of having God's decrees and his commands, and when they followed them, it brought peace and prosperity. They had God's instruction manual to how to have a healthy, happy life came right from the designer, right from the person who made them, who knew what was best for them. Now, um, my boys, they have these amphibious remote control cars, and uh, you can take them and throw them in the swimming pool and drive them around, and it's just fine. It works fine. Now, we, we knew we could do that with them because it said so on the box. It said so in the instructions. It was fine to do that, and uh, it said that they were designed for that purpose. They also have some other remote control cars. Now, we haven't tried this, but I'm pretty sure that if you threw those in the pool, they would sink and they wouldn't do anything. They, they wouldn't work because that's not what they were designed for. It's not how they were made to work. So there's a real advantage to having the instructions, to knowing from the designer what the purpose and plan was. Otherwise, you know, their cars wouldn't last very long. Um, we as Christians have the same advantage. It's the same advantage that the Jews had. We have the very word of God in the form of the Bible. It's God's breathed, it's God breathed 
And it's a solid foundation that we can use to evaluate any of our teachings. Um, we can evaluate truths. We can evaluate our behaviors by the word of God. And having God's word is an advantage, and it keeps us from straying away from God into some form of idolatry. It keeps us from trying to reinvent who God is in our minds to match our own desires instead of remaining in the protection of his loving law. So this is where we stand as a church. It's in our name, we're Bible Center Church. We value the Bible. We don't separate it from God. We're not lifting the Bible above God. We believe that it is the very word of God. By placing his center in our church, we are calling we're, we're, we're placing God as center in our church. We're saying his word matters above any other word. The Bible leads us to a savior. It teaches us who God is. It tells us what his plan is, how we should live, what we should do, what we shouldn't do, so that we will have a good life. So that not, not just so that, so we can have eternal life, but we will, things will go well with us. Things will be well with us. They'll be well with our children. We'll enjoy a long life. Just the same promise he gave to Israel for obeying his word, we will experience if we obey his word. It, it, it's, it's the manufacturer's instructions. It, it'll, it's going to work better when you follow what the creator designed it to be used for, our, our lives. What are they designed to be used for? How, how are they supposed to be lived? The Bible is an advantage. It keeps us from trouble. Um, its instruction... Its instructions cause things in life to work out well for us. Um, it helps us to protect ourselves spiritually, emotionally, and physically when we follow his instructions. There's things out there that will hurt us if we don't follow those instructions. We need this advantage because sometimes we as humans are not as smart as we think we are. <laughs> there are many times that we think that we understand things or know what's best, but we have a limited understanding, and then we find out later that we're wrong after it's too late. Uh, I have a kind of a sad example, and this doesn't really have anything to do with something that the, the Bible would have helped protect from, but it just has to do with our limited understanding. Uh, I read recently about um, back in the 1900s, people didn't think that radiation was bad for them. In fact, they actually thought it was good for them. Um, they worked around it without protection. They actually um, they used to take it and they painted, painted it on watches, radioactive material on watches, so that the hands of the, of the watches would glow. And when they were doing this, they actually had a lot of women working in their factory at this time, and the women would paint this radioactive, radioactive material onto the hands, but in order to keep a nice point on the paintbrush, they, would, they were told to lip point the brush. And so they ended up ingesting this radioactive material day after day after day. They didn't realize that it was bad for them. Um, there were other things at the same time that uh, radium, which is a radioactive material, was put into as an additive. It was put into toothpaste. It was put into cosmetics. It was even put into food and drinks. There was a, a liquid that was basically just distilled water. It was a drink that was sold called uh, Radithor, and it was simply distilled water with radium in it. And it was advertised as a cure for the living dead and uh, perpetual sunshine. It promised to tackle various ailments all the way from arthritis to gout. And so these practices 
led to people getting sick and many even dying because they did not have the advantage of knowing whether it was good or bad. They trusted in their limited understanding. So we as humans have limited understanding. We're, our minds are finite. Uh, we understand some things, but we don't know everything. God's understanding is infinite. He's infinite. He doesn't, he's not missing any details. There's nothing he hasn't figured out yet. So um, we may not always see the repercussions of our actions. We may see things that look good to us uh, and may not understand why it's not. Um, but, but we have to remember we're finite. We don't know. We, we don't know everything. Um, but there's people today, even those who call themselves Christians, that want to challenge what the Bible says. Um, they don't agree with it because they have limited understanding. And what they have to realize is that if you are arguing or disagreeing with the Bible, just a heads up, you're wrong. <laughs> God is right. God is right. You are wrong. Um, there's, it's, it's God's word. It's God's word. And if we don't accept it as such, if we don't recognize it as God's word and, and we're picking and choosing, then, you know, we're basically putting ourselves in the place of God. We're deciding what is right and what is wrong in our, by our own finite understanding. So even if we don't understand why we are wrong, but it's clear in God's word that we are wrong, um, we have to be willing to submit to that. Otherwise, Jesus is not, is not our Lord, and we are making ourselves God, and we are a really crummy God. <laughs> We're not a good God. We will mess up our lives, and we have no power to save ourselves for eternity. We're not God. There's only one. Here's some, some examples of how God's word protects us. Um, one, God teaches us not to be greedy and jealous of what other people have. Now, that to some people, that might not seem like a very big deal. Like, so I see what other people have and I want it. Like, what's the big deal? Like, how is that going to hurt anything? Um, but when you become greedy, when you become so fixated on what other people have and you're coveting those things, you become dis uncontent with what you do have. Um, you can't enjoy it. You, you always feel like you're lacking. Um, you're not thankful. Uh, it's not a fun way to live. You, you, it takes away your joy. And uh, in some cases, it can make somebody become so desperate for it or so you know, desirous of it that they will actually become a thief so that they can have what they want. And if they become a thief, there's a chance that they, you know, end up getting arrested and go to jail or they could get seriously injured trying to flee from somebody or, you know, get shot in the process of robbing a store. Like that is a repercussion of not following what God's word is, is that um, things are not going to go well with you. The Bible is a gift. And when we follow it, even in things that maybe don't seem like a big deal to us in the beginning, or maybe things that we don't understand, um, when we follow it anyways, it will protect us from things that we don't understand, from repercussions we don't see are coming. Um, also, uh, God's word teaches us that we should try and not try, that we should marry a godly spouse. Should When you get married, you want to find a godly person to marry and that we should commit to them for our whole life to love them, to cherish them, and to honor them. That God gives instruction for marriage to tell us how it should go. And when we follow those instructions, our marriages 
are joyful. Our marriages um, are healthy. Uh, we end up raising kids in a healthy environment, and those those kids grow up to be less likely to live lives that where they're getting in trouble. They're they're less likely to have marriages themselves that end up in broken relationships that that cause a lot of pain and misery. When we trust in the design plan given to us, uh, not only are we protected, but we find blessing, and that blessing goes to us, and that blessing goes out of us to those around us. So we've been entrusted with the very word of God, and it is a huge advantage to those who obey it. Moving on to question number two, there's uh, verse three, Romans 3, 3 and 4. True, some of them were unfaithful, but just because they were unfaithful, does that mean God will be unfaithful? Of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. As scriptures say about him, you will be proved right in what you say, and you will win your case in court. God will always remain faithful. We sang about this this morning. God will always remain faithful, but he's, he's faithful to his blessings, but he's also faithful to his punishments. So it seems like in this question, they're maybe forgetting that there's, there's two sides to this. They, they just want to make sure that they're getting the blessing. I, I think there's an underlying issue here. It's not fully explained, but, um, but I think as he, he talks about, he, he shares this scripture here, which is actually Psalms 51, or from Psalms 51, and, and that example uh, talks, it's, it's written by David. It's written after he got caught, after Nathan um, approached him about his uh, adultery with Bathsheba and his murder of her husband. And so it, it kind of paints a little picture like maybe they're not recognizing that, that, that just, not, just because uh, God punishes doesn't mean that he's not faithful. He's, he's faithful in both directions. There's, he made promises that that he would be faithful when you obey and that there was punishments when you don't. And so um, David was given promises of blessing, that God was going to bless him. He was going to bless him and his descendants. And this, this promise was given before this incident happened. But that didn't mean that God was unfaithful when he then punished David uh, because of the evil that he did when he sinned against him. David recognized this himself and accepted that God was right. He said, you will be proved right in what you say, and you will win your case in court. He, he was surrendering to God as being just and right and being faithful, even in punishing, even in when, it, when it wasn't a blessing that was coming to him. But he punishes those he loves so that they will learn to fear and obey him. The Jews were in a covenant with God. This was a covenant that started with Abraham. The, this covenant given to Abraham and, and was, was given to the whole nation that was going to come out of Abraham, that uh, they were going to have to depend on him and obey him and have faith and obedience. And then when we look uh, in Deuteronomy 28, Moses talks more about their relationship with God and this covenant with God. And it says in verses 1 and 2, it says, if you fully obey the Lord, so there's an if at the beginning, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all of his commands that I am giving you today, the Lord your God will set you high 
above all nations of the world. You will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. And then if you jump ahead uh, to verse 15, after he lists a bunch of blessings, it goes to verse 15 where it says, but if you refuse to listen to the Lord your God and do not obey all the commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come and overwhelm you. And he goes on to list the curses. God promises to be faithful to bless when they are faithful and faithful to judge when they're unfaithful. But all of this was meant to point to the fact that they were going to need a savior because they couldn't be perfectly faithful. There was, they, they, they needed a savior. There needed to be a final sacrifice that would fully not just cover, but wash away their sin. Uh, now this, this thought um, is comparable to a, person today who maybe has lived their whole life unfaithful to God, but they've carried the title Christian. If people asked them, what religion are you? They'd be like, well, I'm a Christian or I'm, you know, I'm some, some Christian denomination. Maybe they would give as an answer. Um, they went to church from time to time. Maybe they'll even remember that one time they, they, they said some sort of a prayer, even though they never really made Jesus Lord of their life, never really made any changes, never really surrendered anything, but they, they said a prayer. And, and then on judgment day, is God unfaithful when he says to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. He says in Matthew seven twenty one, he said, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. We went through Romans Road, and there's a, there's a believing involved. There's a there's a placing your hope in God that's involved. There's there's allowing God to be Lord of your life. You're confessing God as Lord of your life, not just words, but you're believing in your heart. That's what it says. Believing in your heart is what makes you right with God, and by confessing with your mouth, you are saved. And so. There's some who, though their words, they may have confessed with their mouth some words, but in their heart, they didn't believe, they didn't put their trust in. But God is faithful to his word. God is faithful to his word. And, um, you know, it's just, and we talked last week about some of the statistics, you know, and, you know, the statistics can't give us a perfect description, but it can give you an idea that there are people out there who call themselves Christians and really don't know the truth because they, they, you know, statistically, I think we said that there was 30 some percent, um, that, that said that they, of Christians that don't believe that Jesus is the only way that they believe that somehow there's some works associated with that will help them earn their salvation. And so, um, it's just a very, you know, sobering thought, you know? And, uh, so not, you know, it's not meant to be depressing, but it's meant to be, you know, eye-opening so that when we go into the world and, you know, that we're, we're open, even with those who, who pro- profess to be Christians, that we still talk about our faith. We should, you know, uh, that they would, they would know and be encouraged and grow in their faith. Maybe there was a seed planted that still needs to sprout, you know. They have some knowledge in their head and it just needs to grow. And so um, just to be aware of that. 
But, uh, and to be aware of that in our own hearts, you know, where are we at? Are we, you know, have we gone behind be, from head to heart? You know, that's something that, that every, every Christian has to have answered for themselves and answered to God at some point in their life. Um, moving on to the, the third question that Paul addresses in this section, which is uh, Romans 3, 5 through 8. It says, but some might say our sinfulness serves a good purpose for it helps people see how righteous God is. Isn't it unfair then for him to punish us? Now, this is merely a human point of view. And then he, he responds to this question. He says, of course not. If God were not entirely fair, how would he be qualified to judge the world? But some might still argue, how can God condemn me as a sinner if my dishonesty highlights his truthfulness and brings him more glory? And some may even slander us by claiming that we say, the more we sin, the better it is. Those who say such things deserve to be condemned. Can you imagine the first time that Paul heard somebody make this argument to him? I, I mean, but Paul, my sin helps people see how good God is. It's a good thing. I mean, he's, he's, I can just imagine him wanting to roll his eyes and shake his head. He's going to be thinking, you, you've got to be kidding. I mean, it, if you're going to come up with an excuse, like, make it a good one. But... Uh, uh, I, I kind of made it, I thought of, thought of a couple of examples of what it's like. One, you know, like if you told your kids, you know, we're having company come over, don't, don't make a mess, you know, and then you come out later and they've made a huge like blanket pillow fort in your living room and you're getting mad and they're like, wait, mom, mom, don't you see how much better the rest of the house looks in comparison? <laughs> uh, or imagine that uh, you kids, like imagine your, your parent told you that uh, you shouldn't go down into the woods with shorts on because you might get poison ivy or nettles on you and then you come back with these rashes on you. Are they going to be happy because you prove that they're right? See, I'm right. <laughs> or are they going to be upset that you didn't obey them, that you didn't listen, that you didn't trust, that they were doing what was best for you to protect you? God gave us his word to show us how to live, to to protect us, and to bless us. It is a huge advantage. Uh, earlier, I called the Bible uh, manufacturer's instructions, but there's a big difference between manufacturer's instructions. Like the, the manufacturer of those remote control cars wouldn't care if we threw one in the water and it broke. It just means that we'll have to go buy another one. Probably would like that. Um, but in our situation, these instructions came from a God who loves us. And so... He, he loves us. He wants to bless us. We know that these instructions are what's best for us. And because he loves us and because his spirit lives in us, we have a desire and a passion to please him, to make him happy. I'm going to ask the worship team to make their way up. Now, we could live a life like the thief on the cross. Or we could live in sin until the last moments of our life and have a last-minute conversion and still end up in heaven. But that isn't the life that we really want to have. That, that isn't the life that God wants for us. Um, I don't know all the details of, of the life of the thief on the cross, but I have to imagine that his life was kind of a mess, just based on how it ended. He, he was probably hanging out with the wrong kind of people. 
Um, he was probably running as a fugitive for a period of time before he was caught. Um, he probably didn't experience a lot of joy and peace in his life. If he was a thief, he probably wasn't content with what he had. Um, the, I don't know uh, all the details, but, um, and, but it wasn't, he wasn't experiencing the advantage of knowing and living by the word of God. And uh, thankfully, he met Jesus at the end, and, and, uh, and he was able to go to heaven, that he was able to be forgiven, but that's not the story that we want. We don't want that. There are Christians out there that uh, did not have this advantage of having the word of God in their homes, or people who, who call themselves Christians, or just people in general that haven't had this advantage of having the word of God in their homes. They weren't taught it in their youth, and their lives got all messed up. Uh, they can tell you stories about how they got caught up in crime and how they got caught up in drugs and how they, they almost died before they came to know Jesus. And then when they met Jesus, their whole life turned around and, and he saved them and restored them and, and things are good now. And um, you may say, well, doesn't, didn't their sin show how good God is? Well, sure, God's goodness was displayed, but it wasn't displayed by their sin. It was displayed by their obedience after they sinned. It was displayed by the joy and the peace that they found in Jesus afterwards. Now, youth, I want you to listen up. We've got more kids in here today, a few. Anyway, so um, I want you, and, and you're, a, you're in an age where you've got your whole life ahead of you where this is going to have, has the maximum impact the earlier you start, right? And so um, there's a greater story that you can have than the story of the person who, who got all messed up and then God cleaned him up later. The greater story is that, that you could have is that you took advantage of the word of God. You trusted that his plan is better than your thoughts, even when you don't understand why. That even when you don't get why God's word says what it is, you obeyed anyways. You stayed clear of evil. You chose good friends. You never had to struggle with addiction. You never went to jail. You married a Christian uh, spouse. You um, served God. You served others. And you don't have a list a mile long of regrets of things that have left you pain and scars from past mistakes. That is the best testimony you can have. And you are in a place where you have that advantage. You have the word of God. You're hearing it today. You, you hear it in your Sunday school classes. Your parents have it uh, on the radios at your home and you're, you're hopefully reading you Bible stories. Um, you have the word of God. You've learned the word of God. And when you take advantage of the word of God by obeying it, you can have a life that has more peace and has more joy and ends with eternal life with Jesus Christ. God's word can be a protection for us from the dumb ideas that we have. Those ideas are any idea that disagrees with what the Bible says. Any idea you have that disagrees with the Bible says is a dumb idea, okay? Don't do it. I'm going to say it again. If you're arguing with the Bible... God is right and you are wrong, okay? I think of uh, this verse all the time, Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. I always, 
I have it memorized that he will make your path straight, but different translation. Um, but he will direct your paths. We have that advantage. We have that advantage. We have the word of God. Don't lean on your own understanding. That's not going to be a straight path. You're going you're to zigzag around and you're going to take a long time to get from point A to point B. And, uh, and, and if point B is salvation, you, you want to make sure you get there. You, we don't want to take the long path. There's a lot of obstacles, a lot of trials, a lot of messes you can get in when you get off the path. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Paul, when he was writing this, he was addressing our human nature that wants to do whatever we want to do. Uh, it does not want to be accountable for our actions. Paul had heard every excuse in the book. Some would even go so far as to claim that their disobedience made God look better. I feel like that's one of those uh, things that you might think in your head and not realize how dumb it is until you say it out loud and then you're like, <laughs> forget I said that. Forget I said that. Um, but there are people whose identity is Christians uh, who have the, they, they say that they're Christians, but they make similar excuses to try and justify some of their behaviors. Um, some people might think that they can make up for their sins by uh, doing good things somewhere else. Somehow that covers them. Some people will actually say, well, I know it's wrong, but God will forgive me. I know it's wrong, but God will forgive me, you know, and they just keep on going. Um, but God warns us in his word that anyone who deliberately continues in sin has a serious problem. Like, not so sure that you're, you've made Jesus Lord of your life if you're deliberately continuing to sin. Hebrews 10.26 says, Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there's no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. Now he's he's writing to Jews. He's saying that there's there's no old there's no there's no sacrifice. There's no animal sacrifices anymore. You've 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 heard the truth. There's a Messiah, and he came and he did the final sacrifice. You can't go back to those animal sacrifices anymore. There's only one way. And if you haven't received Jesus as a sacrifice from your sin, then you are not a child of God. Those ceremonies, those good deeds, those sin offerings, they can't cover your sin. There's, there's nothing you can do as an offering to pay for your sin. Only Jesus. And building on that thought, 1 John 5.18 says, We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, for God's Son holds them securely and the evil one cannot touch them. Now, that doesn't mean that we never sin. But if you are a child of God, if you are a true Jew or a true Christian, you don't make a practice of it. You don't deliberately sin. You don't say, well, I'm just going to keep on doing it because I know God will forgive me anyways. If God lives in you, if the Holy Spirit lives in you, if you've made Jesus Lord, that's not making him Lord if you're saying, I'm going to do it anyways. That's making you Lord. As we read uh, last week at the, uh, at the end of chapter 2, we read what a true child of God is. That a true child of God is one whose heart is right with God, not merely obeying the letter of the law, rather having a changed heart produced by the Holy Spirit that lives in us. This is a little bit of a paraphrase. A person whose heart seeks praise from God, not from people. 
A true Christian is one whose heart has been changed and they seek the praise of God and not from people. And that includes yourself. You're, you're a people. <laughs> We're not seeking our own praise. We're not seeking our own way. But our hearts seek the praise from God, not from people. So let's make use of the advantage that we have. We've been entrusted with the very word of God, the actual word of God, the, the revelation of God. We know the truth of who God is and what his purposes and plans, what his protection and what his blessings are for our life. If we walk in them, we need to value it. We need to read it. We need to believe it. We need to apply it so that all will go well with you and with your children and so that you will enjoy a long life, even an eternal life. Go in the power of the Holy Spirit, sharing the good news of Jesus for the glory of God, and carry that word with you. Amen.